Blue 58! Hello and welcome to the very first edition of Blue 58, the official podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm John Meerdink. I'll be serving as your host. Also serve as the editor-in-chief of The Power Sweep. And before we get too far into this podcast, I want to thank everybody who has helped us make the opening week of The Power Sweep very, very successful. Very pleased with the, the number of clicks, the traffic we're getting on the website so far. Gary and I are very pleased with how things are going. Gary, of course, the writer and social media manager for ThePowerSweep.com, helping us out with some great content. You're seeing him with all the neat photoshops of stuff popping up on your Facebook and Twitter feeds. Been really exciting to get this project underway, and hopefully you've enjoyed it a little bit as well. Hopefully this will be an interesting podcast for you. We're still obviously workshopping a few of the ideas with how this whole project is going to work, the podcast being one of them, but we'd like you to get involved. We've got some questions from listeners in the podcast, and if you'd like to be included as a future possible question in the mailbag section of the podcast, which we'll get to later on, there are a few ways that you can contact us. Chances are you found this post through Facebook or Twitter. Those are really good ways uh, to get in touch with either Gary or myself. So shoot us a message there. Or if you'd like, also check out uh, the Power Sweep 1959 at gmail.com. That is a way to get in touch with us via email. To be honest, probably Facebook or Twitter, better way to go. But if you really want to do email, you can also do that and get in touch with us through that way as well. With that out of the way, let's go ahead and get underway. Let's check out some of the headlines going on in Packers world so far this week. Of course, training camp starts today, and without uh, training camp or with training camp beginning, you're going to have some injuries. But one of the injuries I'm sure none of us wanted to see was that of Jared Cook. Michael Cohen of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reporting that Jared Cook is one of a few players who's not going to be practicing at the start of the season, starting training camp on the physically unable to perform list or pump list. The entire list altogether, Sam Barrington, Jared Cook, TJ Lang, Corey Lindsley, Ty Montgomery, and Jordy Nelson. A few of those names not really surprises. Barrington, Montgomery, and Nelson. I think more or less everybody assumed that maybe they wouldn't be full go at the start of training camp. Although by all accounts, it sounds like Jordy Nelson is ready to go. Raring to go, in fact. Montgomery is still coming back from that ankle injury, and it'll be interesting to see what ends up happening with Montgomery as far as the wide receiver battle. He didn't have surgery on that meshed-up ankle until December, so his recovery could have been slowed down a little bit. Ryan Wood of the Green Bay Press-Gazette reporting uh, that it may not be until the second week of the preseason, according to a league source. Now, that's a little bit of a deceiving number because, as you know, the Packers have that extra preseason game this year. They're playing in the Hall of Fame game. So preseason week two for everyone else is actually preseason week three for the Packers. So if that's what ends up happening for the Packers, that's going to put Jared Cook significantly behind the eight ball. Week two slash week three for the Packers of the preseason is when things really start to, to shape up as far as substitution patterns as far as what packages you're going to use early in the season. So if Jared Cook isn't ready to go by then, that could play a big hand in how he's utilized early in the season. Now, it may end up being much earlier than that. We could see Jared Cook a lot sooner than people expect, but that's definitely a storyline to keep an eye on here early in training camp. Michael Cohen also reporting a couple late-breaking roster moves as we head into the first day of training camp today. Don Jackson, the non-drafted 
rookie running back out of Nevada has been released, as has defensive end B.J. McBride, the first-year man. Spent some time, I believe, with the Packers on a practice squad or, or just some brief cameo as sort of a, an off-season roster member in the past. Uh, Jackson said to have a non-football injury, so I imagine we'll get the full story on what exactly that was here before too long. B.J. McBride, and a name that makes me smile already because yesterday on the Power Sweep, we released what we call our way-too-early roster prediction. And wouldn't you know, I predicted that B.J. McBride would make the final roster. Didn't have any real reason to say that, but hey, Mike Pennell is going to be out at the start of the season, so I figured, hey, maybe they need another big body. Well, it looks like that's not going to be B.J. McBride. But interestingly enough, this now puts the Packers at 88 people on the active roster. Who is going to fill those final two spots? Because you know Ted Thompson isn't going to let them sit vacant. Who's it going to be? Hard to say. Earlier this week, we heard that uh, John Kuhn was considering taking out an ad in the Green Bay Press-Gazette, thanking fans for all of their support over the years. The Packers told him, maybe hold off on that for a little while. Could it be John Kuhn coming into camp here right at the last minute? Could be. I, if there's anybody who's going to fill the roster spot who's not another undrafted free agent, I would say there's a pretty good chance it could be him. As far as who rounds out the, the roster to make it number 90, I don't know. Uh, your guess is as good as mine. Just pick an undrafted free agent who's still out there. Could be. Who knows? I don't think it's probably going to be a wide receiver because they've got a ton of those in camp already. Probably isn't going to be a defensive back. They have a lot of those in camp already. But maybe it's another running back. They just want to get another another pair of legs in that competition for that number three spot. Who knows? Could be any number of those things. Also packing it in this offseason, Greg Jennings announcing on Monday on his YouTube channel that he is done with football. Here's a quick clip. Of that. I got some news to share with you guys. Football is over. I'm done. No more. Now, really, big not a big surprise no here. Greg touchdown. Jennings, 32 years old, hasn't passed a thousand yards since 2010. I was actually surprised it had been that long. He only averaged more than 12 yards per catch one time since 2011. He's only caught more than five touchdowns in a season one time since he left Green Bay. I think this is something you're going to start to see a little bit more often. Wide receivers starting to call it a career earlier rather than later. 32, not that old for a receiver, but the way that we're kind of going through a new receiver boom here in the NFL, I think this is going to start to become more common. The difference between Greg Jennings and a guy like James Jones or Jordy Nelson is really playing style. Jennings, that silky smooth, fast receiver, amazing route runner, but when you start to lose a step at all, you can't just rely on that route running when you're not as physical of a receiver like James Jones or Jordy Nelson. And I think that's why Jennings found the job market a little bit cold. Plus, he's 32 years old. And while not old for a receiver, it's certainly not young. He's got four kids. He's had a couple of good-sized contracts. Relatively healthy. Why not take your money and get out? So good for him. Probably a good decision. I say probably a Packers Hall of Famer, even though he didn't leave Green Bay on the best of terms. But still, two Pro Bowls while he was here, a Super Bowl ring, a 
couple really, really excellent seasons. Had 12 touchdowns for the Packers twice. Really part of some big moments in Packers history, too. I think he ends up in the Packers Hall of Fame. Uh, As far as other Packers are concerned, Peyton Manning has been cleared in an Al Jazeera investigation. Of course, he's not a member of the Packers, but it does affect a couple current and former members of the Green Bay Packers, namely Julius Peppers, Clay Matthews, and Mike Neal. All of their names came up in that Al Jazeera report about performance-enhancing drugs, human growth hormone, and all three of them are on the NFL's list to be interviewed about what was going on there. We haven't learned a whole lot about exactly what form those interviews are going to take, but the NFL would like to speak with each of them, and we'll find out a little bit more about what that exact interview is going to be here in the near future. As far as Manning getting cleared, Pro Football Talk had a really good point. There's kind of this star witness who's at the center of this entire report, and the NFL essentially said that, no, at least when it comes to Peyton Manning, we don't think this guy is a credible witness. We don't think what he's saying uh, holds water. Now, is that going to also apply to his testimony as it pertains to Julius Peppers, Clay Matthews, and Mike Neal? I would kind of think it probably will, but you never know. The NFL is nothing if not capricious with how it doles out justice, so we'll see what that means for Peppers, Matthews, and Neal. I think Even though we don't know a whole lot, this is going to be an interesting story to keep an eye on. Talking about interesting stories, the Green Bay Press-Gazette dropped something really interesting this week. The name Tony Smith ring a bell. Well, he's the guy that the Atlanta Falcons ended up drafting with the draft pick that they traded or that they received, trading Brett Favre. They received that first-round pick from Ron Wolf and the Packers. They ended up trading it to the Cowboys, and then the guy they ultimately ended up with was Tony Smith. He's a running back. Ended up with just 87 carries as a rookie. Played two more years in the NFL, but never carried the ball again. The entire story is worth a read, but it's interesting to see how the politics of his locker room played into the end of his career. Reading between the lines, it really sounds like Falcons coach Jerry Glanville just benched him kind of spitefully to make the GM look bad. He did not want a running back. He wanted the Falcons to draft another cornerback because Deion Sanders was about to leave Atlanta and he ended up doing so. The guy that Glanville wanted ended up playing eight years in the NFL, did pretty well. He was no Deion Sanders, but he was pretty solid. Tony Smith was done after just three seasons. He left Atlanta, had some injury problems a couple other places. He went, tried to get to Canada, just did not end up having a good go for a uh, go of his career. Kind of feel bad for the guy reading the story, and he's really just a, a footnote in NFL history. But the entire thing worth a read. Definitely check that out from Ryan Wood. A couple quick more headlines, then we'll get down to today's topic. Bob McGinn has labeled the Packers' defensive line rebuilt. Check this out at Journal Sentinel, uh, their Packers coverage. Not a whole lot to report, but McGinn seems pretty high on last year's defensive line than I thought everybody might be. Points out B.J. Raji actually had a career-high seven tackles for loss last year, more than I would have guessed probably. I think that's kind of what the Packers are going to be looking at from Kenny Clark. Uh, Could be a big ask for a rookie, but he's pretty athletic for a big man and pretty strong, the former wrestler. Maybe he's just going to end up being kind of a giant version of Mike Daniels. We'll see exactly what he turns out to be, but I think that's uh, exactly... That's kind of what the Packers are going to be looking for from him. So, McGinn, 
a big fan of how the defensive line is shaping up. Not such a big fan of how the backfield is shaping up, particularly when it comes to the shape, the physical shape, that is, of Eddie Lacy. I want to read you a little bit of what he said about Eddie Lacy this week, talking about Lacy being potentially in line for a big contract. I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs. This appeared on the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel on July 22nd, so a few days ago. Dateline Green Bay. Eddie Lacy has already done some damage, if not irreparable damage, to his market value by not staying in shape. After having to play his way into condition during Green Bay Packers training camp in 2014, Lacy reported at 260 pounds last July, cheating himself and the organization before going on to have one of the more disappointing seasons of any player in the NFL. So I want to stop you right there for a second, Bob. I can think of one, at least one, high-profile example in the running back position of alone that would qualify as more disappointing than Eddie Lacy. And I'm thinking about DeMarco Murray, the $42 million contract that he was given by the Philadelphia Eagles, only to see him average less than four yards a carry for the entire season before getting shipped out of town. I think Lacy was significantly less disappointing than that, but just my opinion. Anyway, back to the piece. Lacy took the first step in January, reaching out to P90X founder Tony Horton. Under Horton's personal guidance, estimates in June were that Lacey had dropped 15 to 20 pounds. Lacey ranks 63rd among running backs in average salary per year at $848,103. With a return to form, he would be in position to cash in either through a new contract with the Packers, as his four-year deal expires in March, or with another team as an unrestricted free agent. He points out that a couple uh, similar running backs, like Doug Martin, Lamar Miller and Chris Ivory all got pretty sizable contracts. Uh, Martin got $7.15 million per year, $15 million guaranteed. Lamar Miller got $6.5 million on average. Chris Ivory about six point four. All of those north of $10 million guaranteed. Then here's the real line. Before he got fat, Lacey was more highly regarded than any though of those three players who now rank fifth to seventh on the pay scale at running back. For Lacey, whose family lost almost everything during Hurricane Katrina a decade ago, the prospect of achieving financial security for years to come should be intoxicating. But Lacey marches to a beat of his own, and the Packers can only hope his mind will be right, and last year turns out to have been an aberration. Oh boy, Bob, what do you really feel? Uh, Obviously, he thinks that Lacey was just a bum last year, and maybe he was. Not sure it merits quite that much criticism, but Lacey obviously disappointing last year, maybe not one of the more disappointing players in the entire NFL, but he needs to get back into shape, and that's going to be the main storyline, at least as far as the running back position goes in training camp this year. James Starks, you more or less know what you have. You're not going to be surprised by him unless he completely falls off a cliff. As much as I don't like the cliche, he kind of is what he is as an NFL player at this point and really is not going to be much more than that. He'll give you 75 to 125 carries, probably about 4.2, 4.4 yards per carry. If you get good James Starks, if you get bad James Starks, he'll go down at first content or contact really won't go much farther than that. Showed a lot of improvement as a receiver last year. Actually had a much better year receiving than Eddie Lacy did. But he's not going to be your star running back. And I think if that's what the Packers need from James Starks, if Lacy doesn't turn things around, then 
this is going to be a lot of trouble for the Packers this year. Interestingly enough, um, this piece also points out that the Packers appeared to have been pretty high on Don Jackson, who was cut on Monday. Uh, In talking about Jackson in the piece, McGinn says Jackson might be the best of the three rookie free agents signed to challenge Crockett, quoting an anonymous AFC college scout, uh, kind of a tough between the tackles runner. He has a shot. He's a top free agent. Well, now he has a non-football injury and he is not in Green Bay any longer. That's going to do it as far as the headlines for this week. Before we get into our main topic, I want to give you a word from our sponsors. And our sponsor for this week is DraftKings, or at least it would be if we had a sponsor for this podcast. You see, we are just starting out and we do not have a, po- a podcast sponsor just yet. There is no one to give us any money for starting the Power Sweep, or the Blue 58 podcast. But we are always looking. And if you are interested in sponsoring this podcast or any part of what goes on at thepowersweep.com, give us a shout. You can find us at Facebook or on Twitter at The Power Sweep or on Gmail at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Blue 58! Hit! So as training camp gets underway, I want to call back to some of the weird things that were happening in the early 2000s. Hopefully you've seen some of our series that we're running on thepowersweep.com called 4 After 4. The four would-be heirs to Brett Favre. This kind of got me thinking a little bit about the Mike Sherman era as GM as a whole. And there was some flat-out wacky stuff happening with the Packers in the early 2000s. Of course, the Mike Sherman general manager era runs from 2002 to through 2004, starting actually, in fact, right after the 2001 draft. Uh, Ron Wolf, in his last act as the Packers general manager, ran the 2001 draft for Mike Sherman. And then things were all Mike Sherman from 2001 until the end of the 2004 season, at which point Ted Thompson took over and the rest is more or less history. So in training camp, in the early 2000s, it really seemed like a lot more unusual things tended to happen. And this was the genesis of the the series that we are doing on the Packers quarterbacks that tried to resurrect their careers in Green Bay. Three quarterbacks of note were actually offered contracts by the Packers, two of the three accepted. The ones that we've talked about on the blog so far are Tim Couch and Akili Smith. Now, what's interesting to me about both of these guys is that they were both brought in kind of under the premise that, yeah, Brett Favre's not going to be here too much longer, and you could be the guy who replaces him. Uh, Quoting from Gary's article about Tim Couch, uh, quote, when Couch joined the Packers in June of 2004, the Washington Post wrote, another quote, Favre will probably play one to three more seasons, and Couch could re-sign with the Packers if things go well this season, and he senses that Favre's retirement is coming sooner rather than later. Everyone thought that Favre's retirement was imminent in 2004. Spoiler alert, it wasn't. It was five years out yet, and then another year out after that. And then, well, depending on which retirement you go on, the Packers' retirement, the Jets' retirement, the first Vikings' retirement, and then the second Vikings' retirement. I guess you've got one of four there to pick pick from from Favre. But people as early as 2004, and as we'll see in a second, much earlier than that, thought it was going to happen any time. And Tim Couch could have been the guy. At least that's how the Packers spun it to him. Akili Smith, also in camp with the Packers in 2003, thought 
that he could beat the guy. He came to Green Bay after a terrible run in Cincinnati. So bad, he was benched at one point for Gus Farratt and had to overcome a historically bad game by Gus Farratt to even get back in the game or get back onto the field for the Bengals. Here's what Smith said when he came to Green Bay in 2003, telling the New York Post, quote, with Brett Favre retiring in two or three years, that's more time for me to sit under him and learn the system and hopefully get a chance to compete for the number one job. He didn't, of course, make it out of training camp that year, had a bad, bad run in the preseason and just really had no business being in training camp for the Packers. But this was the sort of thing that happened all the time in the early 2000s. We'll get a little bit more into the the free agent signings that Mike Sherman made here in just a little bit. But the the moves that they made, bringing guys to camp, and these are not just kick the tower or kick the tires sort of deal. Uh, Tim Couch's contract was worth more than a million dollars. Achilles Smith's contract was had I think about five hundred thousand dollars guaranteed. They weren't bringing him in just for a tryout. They did bring some other really unusual guys in for a tryout, including J.J. Stokes. Uh, the former 49ers wide receiver, on the same day that they ended up, up signing Smith. This was not an unusual occurrence. This happened seemingly all the time. And I have to correct myself, I did have the wrong numbers on Achilles Smith's contract. He had a one-year $535,000 contract with a $10,000 signing bonus. Again, more than you would seemingly, or maybe more than I would think that you would commit to a guy if you just wanted to kick the tires, see what he had in training camp. To round out the quarterback trio, and this is the next name that's going to come up, or one of the next two names, I don't want to give away everything that we're doing with the the 4 After 4 series, one of the next two names that's going to come up there is Billy Volek. He actually never played for the Packers, uh, spent quite a few years with the Tennessee Titans and then a few more with the San Diego Chargers, but in the 2004 offseason, right before the 2004 season, uh, Volek was a free agent. He ended up returning to the Tennessee Titans, but the Packers brought him in for a visit. They worked him out, said to have had a pretty good workout, and then said, hey, here's the deal. We want to offer you a contract, but Brett Favre's our guy, and we're expecting him to be the guy for quite some time. And I don't know what kind of sales pitch that is for a 28-year-old quarterback who's considered one of the best backups in the league at this point. But Mike Sherman says that's the way he wanted to go about things. Quoting from an article uh, written at the time, quote, I think honesty is always the best sales pitch. Volek knows our situation and he knows Brett's situation. Brett could play one more year or three years or five years. Who knows? And he, meaning Volek, understands all that, end quote. So Volek uh, didn't buy it. He heard what the Packers had to say. Took a couple other visits and ended up heading back to Tennessee. Was ultimately traded to the Chargers, but... The Packers were legitimately interested in bringing him in to be their next possible quarterback. Really, really strange times in Green Bay. Now, the draft, the draft gets a lot uglier. So I mentioned earlier that Ron Wolf, uh, I don't know if that is so much as a favor to the Packers, but the last thing he did as the Packers general manager was run the 2001 draft. And more or less, things are pretty solid here. The first round pick, they traded up to the 10th spot to get Jamal Reynolds. And Reynolds was an unmitigated disaster. Uh, Played 18 games in his career, three sacks, he's done. Never played in the NFL again. But beyond that, not terrible. 
Robert Ferguson in the second round, Bao Ju and Torrance Marshall in the third, Bill Ferrario in the fourth round, and in the sixth round with their last pick, tight end David Martin. Martin ended up scoring 15 touchdowns in his NFL career. They're not all, I believe, for the Packers. But all things considered, a fairly solid draft class top to bottom. Wish he could have hit with the first round pick, but not too terrible. But that's where things really kind of start to go off the rails a little bit. Because in 2002 and beyond, it's just Mike Sherman. Uh, He is now in charge of the Green Bay Packers. He is the general manager. He is making all the personnel decisions he had throughout the 2001 season. And now 2002, you get to see him run a draft for the first time. And this is a good place to point out that throughout his really, I I guess we'll give him three and a half years, three and three quarters years as the general manager of the Green Bay Packers, he never one time makes a second round pick. Not one time, not in 2002, not in 2003, and not in 2004. That's really unusual considering the enormous success that Ted Thompson has had in the second round. I mean, you read through the second round that he has had as a general manager, and it's incredible. Nick Collins and Terrence Murphy Murphy, the first year in 2005. Darren College and Greg Jennings the year after that. James, uh, no, Brandon Jackson in 2007, bit of a miss there. Jordy Nelson in 2008. You don't need me to run down these things. Ted Thompson has been incredible in the second round. Mike Sherman, his predecessor, ignored the second round entirely. Never made a second round pick. That said, 2002, not a bad draft for Mike Sherman. Right off the bat, his first first round pick as a general manager, Javon Walker. Turns out to be pretty solid and actually ends up being the reason the Packers end up with Greg Jennings. That's another story for another day. A third round pick that year, Marques Anderson. Solid, not spectacular. And until this year, interestingly enough, he was the the last Packers rookie before both Quentin Rollins and Demarius Randall last year to return an interception for a touchdown as a rookie. So he's the third round pick. Fourth round pick, Najee Davenport. In the fifth round, Aaron Campman and Craig Knoll. And in the sixth, the guard by the name of Mike Houghton, who uh, played one game in his NFL career. So the back end, not super spectacular, but the first four picks, really not a whole lot to complain about. If you get four solid players in a draft, I think you're probably coming out of he- ahead. But 2003, the wheels begin to come off. The first pick is Nick Barnett, and he ends up playing through the 2013 season. A, a solid linebacker for the Packers in many respects, was the leading tackler for a long time, really until A.J. Hawk came along regularly racking up the top tackle spot on the Packers, may not have lived up to his billing as a first-round pick, but also bear in mind he was a converted safety uh, coming out of Oregon State. So that one's certainly a very solid pick. He was a solid player for the Packers, and at 29th that year, I think you take that. That's, That's probably fine. But after that, it's a bloodbath. No second round pick again. Third round, Kenny Peterson. Fifth round, James Lee and Hunter Hillenmeyer. Sixth round, Brennan Curtin. And then four seventh rounders, Chris Johnson, DeAndre Rubin, Carl Ford, and Steve Josu. If there's a reason none of those names sound familiar, well, if you think none of those names sound familiar, there is a good reason for it. Outside of Nick Barnett, the entire remainder of the draft class 
one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight guys contributed combined four sacks and 38 tackles during their time in Green Bay. A couple of them would go on to be uh, to play elsewhere. Hunter Hillenmeyer, notable, pretty decent player for the Chicago Bears, didn't ever line him up for the Packers though. Uh, Chris Johnson uh, had eight interceptions in his career elsewhere. None for the Packers, though. Carl Ford, Steve Josu, no notable stats during their NFL career. Certainly not with the Packers. Kenny Peterson, a decent rotational lineman for a couple years, but really just like a fifth lineman at best. And then the fourth or the third draft of the Sherman era, 2004. If this one doesn't make you cringe, I don't really know what will. 2004, first round pick, Ahmad Carroll. No second round pick again. Third round, Joey Thomas. Third round, Donnell Washington. Third round, B.J. Sander. If drafting a punter in the third round doesn't get you fired as a GM, I'm really not sure what else will. And with as many holes as the Packers were developing by that point in the Sherman era, cannot begin to fathom what he was thinking by taking a punter in the third round. He did go on to draft Corey Williams and Scott Wells in the remainder of that round. Corey Williams had two pretty solid seasons with the Packers when he recorded uh, seven sacks each, and Scott Wells, longtime starting center for the Packers as well, sixth and seventh round picks there. But you gotta hit on the top end of your draft if you want to be any kind of general manager. Sherman didn't do that just another way that the early 2000s were pretty wild and wacky. So you've got the weird quarterback stuff. You've got the weird draft sort of stuff. The one area we haven't touched on is weird other free agents. And this is what is, was another way that the Packers tried to stop the bleeding uh, in the early 2000s. They tried to just plug in some of these veteran free agent players that nobody else wanted and for good reason. So I want to touch on three names that the Packers brought in from elsewhere, and one name that they ended up re-signing that was a terrible decision. So 2002, the Packers signed 37-year-old Hardy Nickerson, who contributed all of one and a half sacks and 49 tackles during his lone season in Green Bay, did not shore up the defense there. That same year, Packers also brought in famous defensive line bust Joe Johnson. He played all of 11 games with the Packers, contributing two sacks, over parts of two seasons before he, too, decided that would be enough NFL football for him. 2003, the Packers brought on board a linebacker by the name of Hannibal Navies, supposedly was going to be some kind of pass rush threat, and if I recall correctly, he actually ended up getting a sack in his very first game in Green Bay during the 2003 season. If memory serves, that was the year that the Packers reopened Lambeau Field. Yes, it was. Uh, September 7th, 2003. Packers ended up losing at home uh, to the Minnesota Vikings, 30-25. to Hannibal Navies had a, his first, uh, his only sack, full, only full sack during his time with the Packers in that game, never recorded another solo sack throughout the rest of his uh, remaining, let's see, let's do the math here, 30 games in Green Bay. So there's another bust for you there. Finally, the other contract that we have to talk about the Packers shelling out is Cletius Hunt. Now, an interesting footnote to the Joe Johnson signing is Mike Sherman said at the time when he signed Joe Johnson, we're really excited about this because of what it could mean for Cletius Hunt. This is really going to give us a chance to free him up and let him do the things that Cletius Hunt does. Well, 
there were actually some good reasons to think that maybe that wasn't such a terrible idea. 2000, Cletius hunted at five sacks. 2001, he regressed. No sacks that year. Didn't even end up on the field all that much, but only played in 12 games, started four. But the next year, back up to 14 games, five and a half sacks. 2002, here comes the big contract, and then things go downhill from there. Four sacks the next year, two sacks the year after that, and he is done in the NFL. He makes one more appearance in the Arena League, and that's it for Cletius Hunt. So we've got weird quarterbacks, weird drafts, weird free agency decisions. If that doesn't tell you all you need to know about how weird things were during the early 2000s for the Packers, specifically the Mike Sherman general manager era, I don't know what else you need. Fortunately, things would turn around pretty quickly. Ted Thompson cleaned house when he came on board in 2005, didn't offer big contracts to uh, to either Mike Wall or Marco Rivera. That's another piece that we covered on the blog. Called it the great guard disaster of 2005 because you ended up starting guys like Will Whitaker and Adrian Clem to protect Brett Favre. No wonder they went 4-12 and that year. But of course, Thompson also drafts Aaron Rodgers and the Packers' fortunes begin to turn. Definitely turned into a new era once Ted Thompson came aboard and put the strangeness of the early 2000s behind them. That'll just about do it for our big topic on the show this week. But before we say goodbye for this, the very first episode of Blue 58, the official Packers podcast at thepowersweep.com, I want to take a couple minutes to get to a few of your questions. Got three questions for you here today. Drew in Ashwabadon writes into the program, uh, what familiar names, uh, names are in danger of not making the team this year? Uh, so if you go over to Packers.com and look at their current 88-man roster rundown, uh, a couple names jump out to me. I've gone back and forth on this first one a few times here, and I know we put out an article about this already and had him off the roster again in our way-too-early roster prediction. Uh, but Jared Aberderis, I keep circling back around to his name, and I just don't know if there is a spot for him on the roster this year. Doing the roster prediction, I went about it. I I, I did an entire projection two or three different times. There's a few position groups that I feel pretty solid on. Uh, The quarterbacks, I don't think there's any reason the Packers carry more than two. Running backs, I don't think they carry any more than three. At this point, Aaron Ripkowski is going to be the only fullback. Feel solid on that. That and the specialists, I know it's going to be Mason Crosby, a punter, and Rick Lovato. Pretty sure it's going to be Tim Mastey, but I wouldn't give him 100%. The wide receiver, though, position is going to be weird. And you can make a case a pretty easy case for keeping seven wide receivers. The Packers are deep enough at other spots that they're going to end up keeping a lot of, say, linebackers. But the fact that you only need two quarterbacks and you only need the three running backs and the fullbacks, or the fullback, and that they're only probably going to keep four tight ends at most, I could even see them keeping three, you end up having that extra roster spot. So keeping seven wide receivers, giving you uh, Nelson and Cobb and Montgomery and Janice and Davis and Aberderis and Devontae Adams, it's, it's there. The possibility is there. But I think if you're just picking six, Aberderis is the guy that I leave out. He's the same height as Trevor Davis. He's not as fast. He's not as explosive. And at the bottom of the wide receiver barrel, 
You want guys who can do something special. You don't want guys who are kind of just a guy. To me, I haven't seen any reason to think that Jared Aberderis is not just a guy. He's not just another wide receiver, like a Miles White, that you couldn't pick up off the street and replace pretty quickly. So I think the first name that comes to mind to me as one that could be potentially in danger is Jared Aberderis. The second one, and I'm even surprised that he's still on the roster uh, heading into training camp here, is uh, Don Barclay. And I know he had the, the rough situation with his knee a couple years back, still working his way back from that last year. And he was rough at times. That Arizona game, he was he just a sieve along the offensive line. Could not protect. Didn't seem to have a lot of power. But here he is now, two full years away from that reconstructive knee surgery. He's a little bit smaller than some of the guys they've started to bring on board. Uh, shorter than both Kyle Murphy and Jason Spriggs. Not as athletic, certainly, as Jason Spriggs. A little bit heavier, probably a little bit meaner than a guy like Kyle Murphy. You always talk about grit with a guy like uh, Don Barclay, whatever that is. But I think it's just going to end up being a numbers game. He, he's going to be on the, the lower end of the depth chart for the offensive line anyway. You think of tackles that are going to end up staying on the roster David Bakhtiari, a lock. Brian Bulaga, a lock. J.C. Treader, a lock, for sure. They just love his versatility. He plays a little bit of guard, a little bit of tackle, kind of a little bit of everything. Beyond that, it starts to get pretty light as far as the numbers. Jason Spriggs, for sure, going to be on the roster. So that's already three and a half tackles, depending how you want to count J.C. Treader. Does Don Bar- Do the Packers even need Don Barclay? Is there? Could he make it as a backup guard? Probably, but you look like a, you look at a guy like Matt Rotherham, just a monster compared to Barkley. It's six five three twenty five, and the Packers have more of him. Josh Walker six five three twenty eight. Both of them bigger than Barkley. If you're going to keep a guy around at the bottom of the roster, who's going to be sort of that just filler roster guy? Why not a guy who's both a, a, several years younger? is not coming off a, a reconstructive knee surgery, even two years removed, and is going to be cheaper. Why wouldn't you look for a guy like that instead? The Packers have plenty of them around. I think it's going to be tough for Don Barclay to make this roster. Andrew from Manitowoc reaches out via Twitter. Why have the Packers not had a 90-man full roster for most of the offseason? That's a really good question, Andrew, which is what teachers and anybody will say. They don't really have an answer for the question, and I have to say, I don't have an answer for this one either. I can't really imagine why the Packers would end up keeping uh, those roster spots open, especially now as we head into training camp. I imagine they're going to fill them very quickly, but man, they got to get them filled here in a hurry because uh, time's a waste and everybody else is looking to fill their their roster spots too. If John Kuhn is going to be the guy who comes in, okay, there's still one other roster spot available. Let's see what the Packers do to fill it, and I do think they will fill it. Finally, what draft pick has the best chance to make an impact early in the season? To me, this is a no-brainer. It's got to be Blake Martinez. Right now, it looks like he is not just the starter at inside linebacker, not just one of the two starters at inside linebacker, but kind of the preferred guy among the inside linebacking core. Obviously, Sam Barrington, as we discussed earlier, starting the season on the physically unable to perform list. So that's a bit of a blow to him. But I think Martinez ends up ahead of Jake Ryan at this point already too. 
a little bit bigger, a little bit more athletic than Ryan. And I think uh, uh, Blake Martinez is going to be that rookie that contributes early in the season. Uh, for the Packers. That's going to do it for this week's mailbag session. If you want to give us a shout, uh, maybe get into a future edition of the mailbag, there's a couple different ways you can get at us. Hit us up on Twitter and Facebook, uh, both at the Power Sweep, uh, at both of those social networks, or if you'd prefer to drop us an email, uh, get to us at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. Truthfully, Twitter and Facebook probably the easiest ways to get in front of either Gary or myself for a future edition of the mailbag. But if email is what you want to do, go ahead and give us a little bit of a, a direction that way, or give us a shout that way. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Blue 58, the official Packers podcast of thepowersweep.com. Hope you enjoyed the program, and if you did enjoy it, go ahead and give us a like and a review on iTunes. That'll help more people find the show. And you can also subscribe through iTunes if you use an Apple iPhone or iPad or one of the other iThings that they produce. That's going to be the easiest way to get the podcast for the foreseeable future, although we are looking at other options for distributing it. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoy the start of Packers training camp and be sure to keep an eye on thepowersweep.com for more updates as the season and training camp progress. For Gary Zillaby, I'm John Meerdink. You've been listening to Blue 58. Yeah, we are done. I want you